Hello, and welcome back to MLS Bench Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt, and I am joined this week by Andres. Andres, how are you? Doing well, man. How are you? Doing all right. It's We were chatting a little bit before uh, starting the recording, and this, this week of MLS is just about as weird as it can possibly be, so we've got uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, but yeah, it's... Man, this league is crazy, and it is just impossible to really track down all the storylines all at once. But I think we'll just go ahead and start it off, start from the top. Uh, Friday night match uh, that uh, Columbus went up to Montreal, went to, uh, took a 2-0 lead, and then absolutely blew it. Um, which, unfortunately, has been a pretty un- unsettling pattern for Columbus. Uh, Andres, what did you see in this match? and? What do you what do you think of this Columbus team that is still in the playoffs but bubble-ish? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting from from a Columbus standpoint, more so even than from Montreal. Montreal did this to them a couple of weeks ago where Columbus was up nothing in the last 10 minutes of the game and Montreal scored two on them to to come back and win and here did it to them again. I think in this one, Columbus was playing really well uh, through through 75 minutes and on the road at Montreal. I, you know, I think you have to give credit to, to the crew on that side. Uh, it shows kind of what that crew team can do. And it's why I'm still reasonably sure they're going to make the playoffs. And I think they're definitely a threat to make a run. Uh, but, you know, you make a, a really bad decision on, on Luis Diaz's part just after you know they were talking about how much more tactically he were aware he's become uh get sent off uh, and then you defend in either room's lap for the last 15 minutes uh which gives some some opportunities for deflected shots to go in which is what which is what happened twice here so unsettling for the crew is that this has happened you know quite a bit they're towards the top of the league and points dropped um, and in goals conceded in the in the last 15 minutes of games, um, and yeah, it's one of those things where if I'm uh, on the crew staff, we're looking at how to maintain uh, pressure and energy um, and focus in the last 20 minutes of games because uh, that's good. That's what it's going to take because they've got plenty enough talent in the midfield and on defense to not be giving up goals like that. Um, from Montreal, they got side. a good enough coach who should know this too. Like Caleb Porter is a good coach in this league. Yeah, and and he's one of those coaches that's. If you ever listen to him, as, as somebody that enjoys the tactics and and watching the games and seeing how they unfold, if you hear his halftime interviews, there's always so much good information. Uh, he's won MLS Cup with two teams, uh, but his teams also have these weird uh, letdowns in in years after good seasons and apparently have letdowns in the end of game. So I wonder if, if there's any correlation there, uh, but it's something that they, they need to figure out because if they can figure that out, that's a team that was up to nothing at Montreal, who we've talked about being a really good team. Uh, this is a good, this is a good team and it's a team that can make a run, but this is a, an Achilles heel for them right now. 
Yeah. And it, uh, you mentioned the, the statistic about uh, dropped points, I believe second to the only to the revs uh, who are somewhere ridiculous, like 27 points dropped from winning positions. Uh, Columbus are at 17. If I'm remembering um, Matt Doyle's stats correctly. Uh, the one thing that I will say gives me a little bit of hope for Columbus. If they make it into the playoffs, which is a question, they all they are one of those teams that doesn't lose generally. They have a lot of draws, but they have the second fewest losses only to Philadelphia. So if you're able to go ahead and get yourselves in those situations where if it comes down to penalties, it's it's a coin flip. Like it's it's just complete crapshoot. So it's that has to give you a little bit of hope. And then there's just there is you're right, so much talent through that midfield. Like that midfield triangle of Zellerion, Morris, and Nagby, or even Arthur uh, Nagby and Zellerion, is really good. So I, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can find a way to go ahead and close out games. And I think that that has to fall on the coaching staff, in my opinion. Wait, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Doyle's column, and he talked about how they kind of sit back um, when holding on to leads there at the end of the uh, at the end of games, I wonder if that's an adjustment that they can make. Uh, but yeah, in general, that's one of those things where you know maybe you need a different type of mentality or a different type of of tactical approach to that last fifteen minutes, and that has to come from from the coaching staff because uh, Jonathan Mensa uh, doesn't forget how to defend in the last fifteen minutes of games. Uh, Nagmi and Morris and those guys don't forget how to control possession of the ball and win balls in the midfield. So it, it has to be something along those lines tactically or, or just from a mentality point of view. Absolutely. Uh, Columbus is still sitting in seventh place right now, so just inside. Um, and they do have a couple of games in hands on some teams, one game on most. Um, so there's there's definitely a lot to like in this Columbus team. They have a vital matchup uh, this evening. We're recording on Tuesday um, and they are headed down to Miami who are sitting in ninth and it's Miami's playing for their lives. And if Columbus does not take advantage of the opportunities that they can create by being so ruthless going forward, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for Miami to make a pretty big stride. Columbus winning here would put them eight points clear with four to go. Um, that pretty much seals a deal on Miami catching them. Um, and it put them six points clear of the Revs um, with four to go. So that'd be pretty tough. So a win here, and they're pretty much guaranteeing themselves in. If Miami were to win, uh, then they'd be only two points back. Uh, and then anything can happen. So pretty pivotal uh, matchup here for the last playoff spot coming up tonight. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move on. We'll take a look at another team right around that, you know, sixth, seventh spot in the East. Cincinnati, uh, playing at home to San Jose. That's a, a match that you would think should be a pretty safe win. And for the first half, it didn't really seem like that's what it was going to be. Uh, Cincinnati certainly controlled the match, but it, they only break through through a gorgeous, gorgeous goal from Barrial. Um, and then the floodgates open. San Jose looked absolutely gassed. And then 
uh, their their defense just could not stand up to how many different ways Cincinnati can hurt you. Uh, what did you see in this match? What did you like about Cincinnati here? So first, I want to point out, like, like you mentioned, that first half, um, it didn't really go as planned. Cincinnati definitely came out better, let's say the first 15, 20 minutes. But there was a good 20-minute stretch uh, where San Jose was absolutely peppering uh, Celentano's goal. And one of the things we've talked about um, here recently offline is that, you know, goalkeeping in this league really matters. And Cincinnati's been probably the worst team goalkeeping-wise for the first three years of their existence. Uh, and Celentano's been a huge improvement. Um, super surprising. I don't think he expected it. I don't think the club expected it. Uh, but he might be their single biggest upgrade from, from the last couple of years. And he absolutely kept them in the game, uh, basically through minute 40, uh, where San Jose was was really on the front foot. And then, yeah, uh, you know, Barrial, who's probably in the running for most improved player in the league this year, uh, scores the first goal. And, you know, a goal down across the country, playoff hopes are gone. Uh, it, it's after, after that, you see San Jose kind of capitulates. And, and Cincinnati has enough weapons that they can... They could really hurt a team that's not quite up to it. So from there on, it was it kind of played out the way you would have expected it. But it didn't work out that way at the beginning. Uh, and I think Celentano was huge for them. Uh, and in the end, you know, Cincinnati's the only team in that seven, eight, nine area that won on the weekend. Uh, they needed to. They were at home against a, a not great team, uh, and they took care of business. So yeah, good for them. And I think they're also still pretty much uh, pretty close to locked in. Uh, we'll see. They've got a couple West Coast games that might be tough, but other than that, I think they've got a pretty clear path. Yeah, I their their schedule is not super super difficult, and you're right. Like they have just made so many massive improvements year over year. And I, you think that Celentano might be the upgrade or the biggest upgrade? I'm I'm not looking at anybody on the field. I think that this team has found real leadership through Chris Albright and Pat Noonan. And like, I, I certainly don't have a, a vote for coach of the year, but Pat Noonan is probably like number two for me at only after another coach that we, uh, you know, talked a little bit about in uh, Wilford Nancy. Like they have got been so much better playing with mostly the team that they had. Like there's Brenner has been here has an assist and a hat trick on the night. Uh, Vasquez was, I believe, yeah, there last year, but was nowhere near the talent that he's been. Um, and then, you're right, Barial stepping up, Haglin stepping up. It, it's a really, like, historic change in a franchise's uh, trajectory. This is amazing for, for Cincinnati. For them to be in the playoffs is a pretty incredible feat um i think a lot it, to like here it gives hope maybe to teams like houston uh or or chicago or dc or san jose or san like, jose, uh, or, or uh, san jose. if you get the right front office members the right coaching staff um, you can upgrade here and there and and then develop some of the pieces you already have uh, you can turn around pretty much a historically bad team into a into a playoff team pretty quickly. Um, 
yeah, that's a that's a blueprint to follow. Maybe not everybody spends twelve million on Brenner, uh, but a lot of the other pieces you you can you can uh, what's the word you can mimic or or repeat emulate like emulate. There you go. That's the word. Uh, there is just it's really really cool to see teams have so many different ways to succeed and this is not one that i thought existed truly like that's this is something i've been thinking about about major league soccer for a little bit like different um models of success and yeah you're right like if we all had the ability to spend 12 million on brenner sweet that'd be cool but this is the first time they just didn't try to throw money at their problems and that's that's awesome like i i'm really happy to see that uh, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you. I don't think I have much more on, on Cincinnati. It's It's been fun to watch. Uh, about midseason, they kind of crept up my my power rankings on, on my personal viewership. Uh, and it's been it's been a cool three or four months to, to watch them. So about all yeah, I've got there. And I'm really happy that they've made this second push later on in the season after having, you know, guaranteed that they're going to make the playoffs. I think it's like week five or something like that. So that's I forgot about way that. back in the MLS bench days. Yeah, that's a, that was a bold call. I was nowhere near ready for, for that prediction at that point. So good on you. For several weeks there, I was very certain that I was wrong. So uh, do you think that Pat Noonan has any chance at Coach of the Year? We might get... A broken record for goal differential in a season, um, and the union might win a supporter shield with with a roster that I think up next to LAFCs uh, you wouldn't have expected to. So I know it might not be you know usually it's a it's a team that was expected to be bad then that then is good, but I think Jim Curtin might win Coach of the Year. If the, if the union go on and win the shield. I think that's a really good shout. Let's let's go ahead and hit their match on the weekend just a little bit. Uh, and surprising nobody, the union are really, really good. <laughs> they are, like, historically good with their um, ability to defend. Uh, this is pretty close to the, the um, fewest goals allowed on a, or in a 34-match season. This is everything that the Union could want. Uh, they have Orlando visiting on the weekend and uh, pick up a 5-1 to one win. Another time that they just absolutely run through a team. Orlando obviously coming off of their um, Open Cup victory, so maybe some tired legs, maybe a little bit of a hangover there, but uh, a great win for the Union. And Orlando... Still, I think fairly safe in their playoff uh, chances as well. Do you see anything uh, on either, either of these teams that really needs further delving into? No, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, that's it's just a really good team playing at home against a team that's coming off their first trophy in in team history on three days rest. Uh, every now and then, the the league makes sense and gives you a result that you expect, and this is one that I think you would have expected. Um, maybe not five one, but a pretty comfortable win. You would have thought coming in. So um, I don't think it's flashing red signs for Orlando. Um, I I don't think it says anything about Philadelphia that we didn't already know. So uh, yeah, chalk up to to another good result, and, and I think Philadelphia uh, keeps moving on. Uh, see if 
see if they can take that supporter shield away from LAFC. That's that's the interesting one for me because I think a month ago none of us would have thought that, and here they are tied on points um, with a more favorable schedule. Yeah, and just an, an LAFC team that has really fallen off ever since. I think probably in particular the Austin match. Um, I'm trying to think of back to when their last significant win. Hey, you know, even this was going back to the San Jose match where um, they went down uh, uh, to 10 men with uh, Elia getting the um, red card, which another time that they went down to 10 men was this weekend. Uh, they LAFC went down to Dallas and really just looked flat again. I it's I think at this point Philadelphia is absolutely massive favorites. And again, the only difficulty will be that uh in MLS the Supporter Shield first tiebreaker is on wins, not on goal differential or anything like that. And uh LAFC does lead that for now. But uh it's it's a question. Uh let's let's talk a little bit about the the Dallas LAFC match. Um uh, Christian Arango or uh, oh gosh. Um uh, Chicho opens the scoring with uh, a gorgeous p- uh, ball in from Giorgio Chiellini that he just dips over uh Martin Pass. But then Dallas takes it back for some or from some really smart play by Jesus Ferreira. Uh, is there anything that you saw in this match that you really liked? And, and what do you think of these two teams moving into the playoffs? Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure who, who it was that made that takes a quick free kick on that Ferreira goal. Um, it was Areola. It was Areola. Okay, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just, it, was, it kind of happened so quickly that you, you look back and you realize that Ferreira is like, you know, it's actually kind of tough angle for him to, to finish from. Uh, I realize that, you know, people are half asleep at that point, but... But still, it wasn't like it was a, a chip in. Um, yeah, you know, LAFC, it's been since really August 13th. So it's going on exactly a month now. They, they beat Charlotte 5-0 in that match. Um, it took them a while to get going there. Um, and then they, they went that next Tuesday to D.C. And D.C. was on a really bad run and had to fly across the country and play LAFC at home. And you were expecting, a, you know, another 5 nothing or something. And they really kind of struggled 1-1-0 against a 10-man DC. And ever since then, it's just been super stagnant. I mean, uh, the game against uh, the the previous one where they beat Houston looked a little bit better in the offensive uh, third. Here they go down a man early, so game states totally change. Tactics kind of go out the window. They bunker and conquer. and They, bu- they bunker and counter. Uh, to get their goal so i think tactically you kind of have to throw this one out a little bit but they need to get clicking on that offensive end they were a little bit better um i, I keep going back to houston because that was you know 11 v 11 um and stopping the ball and stopping transition and winning the ball back in midfield which is one of their their huge assets uh turning the ball over and getting it out to their wingers uh, in transition um, and, you know, that's what they need to start getting back to doing. And for Dallas, this game doesn't really suit them in terms of trying to break down a team that's that's playing behind the ball. Uh, they also want to turn teams all over and get those front three. Uh, usually it's Velasco, Ariola, and Ferreira kind of in space uh, on a counter. Uh, and that's 
you know, not really what they're able to do here. So I'm not sure tactically it's it's hugely relevant going forward. For Dallas, it puts them two points behind Austin uh, for second, which I think is relevant. Uh, for LAFC, they need to start finding that groove because, you know, the supporter shield might be slipping from their grasp. Already the points record is gone, uh, but they need to get some momentum. Otherwise, they're going to be uh, an easy out in the in the playoffs, which wasn't uh, at all what we were thinking three weeks ago. Yeah, this is the first time that we've really seen the the whole start to show in LAFC because, like, you're exactly right. They just do not have the the connection going forward. And I, I think that that's maybe some roster build issues starting to show. Like, they just don't have the balance right, and they have a lot of, of talent that cannot play all at the same time. Um and it's it's starting to really cause major issues. I I hope that they'll be able to get uh, Segura back in really playing well because I think that helps shore up some of the, their defensive issues. Though that's again that's not really what their problem is. Everything is going forward. Um, they yeah. did get Christian Teo in. Uh, I think Teo. Um, yep, Teo. Uh, so hopefully he'll be able to, to come in in the next couple of weeks or so, but, uh, I don't think that that's going to solve it. And and that really means that you're either moving Vela, Boanga or Bale to the bench. And that just, again, that balance is off. And how many times have we talked about who's going to play in that, in those rotational wing positions, whether it's Opoku or, or Vela or Bale or Buanga or Chicho, um, Mosovsky and Ryan Rodriguez when they were there, uh, Ismail Tajiri Shradi when he was there a few months ago. And, you know, I'm sure John Thorrington knows more about soccer or has forgotten more about soccer than, than I'll ever know. Uh, and he made a quote about how they didn't feel like settling at that point was the right move and they, they felt like they needed to keep pushing and improving that team. But there is something to be said for continuity and keeping a roster and a locker room together, which AFC have done the exact opposite of. They, you know, have had some pretty high turnover during the season, and you just can't help but wonder whether that kind of broke uh, that rhythm and and broke some of the dynamic that they had in the locker room uh, a few months ago. Because uh, since the changes, they've been significantly worse, and the talent isn't worse. So it's just the it's the balance and it's the it's the way that they come together as a team that's worse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to note that uh, Jesus Ferreira did go ahead and take the single season goal record, I believe, for FC Dallas. So congratulations to him on that. And he's playing really, really well. He's got so much motivation going forward this season because of the World Cup coming up and him being the presumptive number nine for the U.S., um, but yeah, I think that we have to be really excited about that prospect if he continues to score as he's been doing recently. So really, really great to see that. And then uh, talk about a team that has found the balance correctly. Their midfield is so much better than it was even three weeks ago. Um, I think at this point, Dallas is looking like hey, they're one of – like three hot teams in the West. And so as we get closer and closer and closer to the playoffs, that's going to be a big question who can keep that momentum. And that's 
a, a difficult thing to have a great understanding of. They're also pretty consistent. Um, they've mm-hmm. only been really thrown out once all season. It was a couple of weeks ago at Nashville. Um, so they're, they're one of those teams that tends to stay in games uh, and has enough talent up front that if they're in a close game, they can find a, a counter and a goal. Uh, so they're dangerous, definitely. Um, I could see I could see Dallas being a dark horse uh, coming out of the West. Absolutely. Uh, I want to take to maybe not a, a dark horse, but actually the team that I thought was going to be the Sport Shield winners at the start of the season, uh, Nashville has been on fire recently. Uh, only the Union have been better in the last five matches. Um, they have started to really, really click. And that's, uh, you looking at the, the talent in that team, you're not surprised by any means, but man, they are looking good. Uh, they wa- or drew to or with the Galaxy at home this weekend, so not the greatest result on this weekend, but you see so much going forward for Nashville. Um, if they don't give up a penalty in the dying minutes of this game, that's another win that puts them on the exact same pace as Philadelphia. Uh, I am really, really optimistic about Nashville's opportunities in the playoffs. What do you see in this match, and what do you think about uh, either of these teams going forward? So, in general, I'm with you on Nashville in terms of potential going forward. Um, mostly mostly out of respect for Hani Mukhtar as a player. He's top three player in the league easily and might be top one um, at certain points of the season. Uh, but in this specific game, I didn't think they played particularly well. I thought actually the Galaxy um, created a bunch of chances, which the Galaxy tend to do, and then missed them, which also the Galaxy tend to do. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a lights out, especially at home uh, type of performance from Nashville. Uh, Galaxy missed the penalty. Chicharito missed another one uh, that would have would have given them you know that draw earlier, and then the the last one. Who knows with game states how it plays out. Um, if, if that second penalty ever happens, if if Chicharito makes the first one, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best of performances I thought from Nashville. It was kind of a little flat, a little sloppy, um, and and it gave Galaxy more opportunities than I think uh, they were really expecting. Um, from the Galaxy, I th- I'm surprised with how much they've improved with Puj. I think he he actually moves the ball quite quite a bit forward and, and he's had some incredible passes to open up the game uh, but they continue to struggle to put away chances and we kept talking about this two striker system where they're going to play with two strikers and they're kind of doing it but they're still playing Cabral as the second striker instead of Jovic which is interesting um, I would not have expected that to happen so I think the Galaxy I've said it a couple times over there what three or four weeks uh, they're going to struggle to make the playoffs here, I think. Um, but they're still hanging in there, and this is a really good result, even if they maybe aren't happy with how it came about, because they, they probably could have won this game. I, I I struggle to say that they should have, but I think you're right. I think every opportunity... I want to dig a little bit into the Galaxy's chances moving forward. Um, they have the most games remaining on the schedule, I believe, uh, with five, they have to go to Vancouver, they have to go to Houston, and then they've got a massive, you know, historic matchup against San Jose in the Rose Bowl, I believe. 
Uh, or no, this is at Stanford Stadium, isn't it? Um, so, but that's three games on the road, but to pretty poor um, opposition at this point in time. And then they've got Colorado and Salt Lake coming into L.A. And uh, neither of those teams are scaring anybody at the moment either. I, I'm i a little bit concerned. You're right, because, again, L.A. just does not seem to click going forward. And then there's so many questions about how they will line up and who will be the talent, because you're right. They have underperformed every expected goals metric. Uh pretty significantly so it's it gives me pause but that schedule is soft so maybe there's an opportunity for them to sneak in but it's tough so so here's the thing with with them with the schedule below them are the sounders now they've got a game in hand on the sounders the sounders have vancouver at vancouver like same as the galaxy um, but then they get Cincinnati at home on a midweek game, which Cincinnati is good, but traveling to Seattle on a Tuesday is going to be tough. And then they finish out with Sporting, who won't have anything to play for on the second to last weekend, and San Jose at home at home uh, on the on decision day. I, I would not be surprised if the Sounders win out um, on those four games, which would put them. Uh, I've got to go back to the standings here. I took the page off. It would put them at 51. So the Galaxy would have Which to is... take 11 points out of five matches. I don't have confidence that in the Galaxy Ooh. doing that. And that's the seven, That's eight and nine. That's without getting to Salt Lake or Minnesota, who are six and seven right now. So I don't know. I, I, I think the Galaxy more likely finish ninth than they do seventh. I think you're right. I think that there are some good pieces, but I still just, they give up way too many goals. They didn't do it this weekend, and they've been better over the last maybe five, six weeks. But that, I, I do not trust that defense to hold up. Nor do I trust them to finish away, to put away their chances. So that's a bad combination. They, they create a good amount of chances, but. They don't finish enough, and if you don't finish enough and you're leaking goals, that's not a good combination. So, I, I know I've been down on the Galaxy really- since the beginning, <laughs> probably, of the season, or since about halfway, um, but we're getting down to crunch time, and if you had to make me bet, I'd bet against it. Well, we will have to see what LA Galaxy is able to pull off over the next few weeks. Um but decent results away to Nashville on the weekend, 1-1. Uh, unfortunately, Walker Zimmerman out next week for Nashville with the red card. So we'll see what Nashville can do and if they can stay hot leading up to the playoffs. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the team that you mentioned really nipping at um, Galaxy's heels. Seattle had a great result uh, at home with number two Austin coming in and Seattle's really, really hot right now. They're they're the other team in the West that just seems to actually be up for it at the moment. Um, they win this match three nil with two goals from uh, Rui Diaz and one uh, an own goal from Gabrielson. Uh, I I'm interested. Who do you think this this result tells you more about, Austin or Seattle? 
So Austin's playing without Drewsy in this one, uh, which makes a huge difference um, in their chance creation and everything else. Um, I think I think it tells me more about the Sounders, uh, just because they've they've changed their formation to this double pivot where Leva and Atencio, and I was wondering what what was going on with Atencio uh, a few weeks ago, and now he's he's in the eleven, uh, playing pretty well next to Leva. Um, and and then it leaves Rusnak more free to roam around. Um, I think this is a much more you know balanced side from Seattle. And the type of goals that they scored here early on is exactly what you want. It's Roldan, Alex finding Morris on the wing, Morris stretching the the back lines, um, and then you know cutting back balls to Ladero and to Rui Diaz. Um, both of the first two goals were, were of that sort. The first one finds Ladero, who then cuts it back further for Rui Diaz. The second one goes directly to Rui Diaz. That's exactly what you want from Seattle. And that was missing uh, pretty much the entire season. So that's a little bit of the old Seattle kind of coming through for the first time in a long time, which is why I think it says more about Seattle. Um, for Austin, I'm not so worried about where they are going forward. Out of this game, like, like I said, without Drusy, it's it's you know Minnesota without Reynoso, it's Nashville without Mukhtar, it's not the same team. But defensively, they can get stretched out, uh, and Seattle showed that. Um, so this is sort of what we're worried about, Austin, on the defensive side. Uh, so that's that'd be the more concern for me out of this game. How did you see it? And I was not able to watch too much of this match, um, but. I'm I'm right there with you and again this is I this was a match that I was interested in how it shook out because of the fact that Austin's been on this poor uh run of form and I was really interested to see who was actually going to step up and obviously um without uh, Drusy starting it's it's tough to not have your leader on the field there but you have to ask more of Alex Ring here. You have to ask more of of Ethan Findlay and and Maxi Ruti like they're there needs to be some improved resolve from the leaders throughout this team. And at this point, there needs to be somebody like uh, Dax McCarty's uh, tirade against the way the Nashville was holding themselves up. And that really was what marked the turnaround in their season that we've seen this uh, to, you know, significantly worse effect in or in Atlanta. They've got to find a way to go ahead and get this turned around. I, I am concerned that they've been found out at this point. And I think that more and more teams are going to start to see those holes that you're talking about in their defense. It's been the concern for me kind of all along. They've outplayed those concerns and definitely exceeded all expectations, especially mine, because uh, we had many a debate here a few months ago about whether they were a playoff team or not. They're clear, they clearly are, uh, but I still have the same kind of concerns along that back line if teams can stretch them out, uh, which is what we saw here with Seattle. And, you know, Seattle must win at home playing for their playoff lives. This is exactly the result that, that they would have been looking for, and they've got a shot here. It's it's not a great one. I think they, they might need to win out, but they have the talent to do so. So, um, that's talent, and they've 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 also just got the experience of having done it before, and maybe that's what we're really seeing 
at this point in time in their season. It's sort of the same with Portland. Um, we haven't mm-hmm. talked we haven't talked about them yet, but you get used to the same to these teams figuring it out at this time of year, uh, and then the teams that haven't. Uh, tend to struggle and the teams that have that confidence that they can do it those are the teams that kind of come through and yeah that's both of these teams are or both uh portland and seattle are very very good at the moment and i i think you're right i think that a lot of it comes from the fact that uh, they just that, is that shocking uh you know no like those are I, it that shouldn't be have been but... in mls cup final for the last seven years uh, they're scrambling for playoff lives. It, you know, I would have been shocked had they not made runs at some point. I guess it's just one of those things where I'm like, why can't any other team in MLS figure out whatever the, the secret sauce is that these two teams have? Like, is it maybe they are the, a team that has those leaders? Maybe, you know, Nico Ladero is the one who's really getting that that uh, locker room together. And maybe Stephen Fry, maybe like in for for portland you or uh you know who it is it's it's sebastian blanco it's diego Char. Char. like yep. but still they're just there has to be more uh quality leadership across this league i have to i have to think that so i don't know like i'm i'm you're right i'm not surprised but maybe i'm just disappointed in the rest of the league yeah and, and again it, it comes to this continuity discussion um, and maybe sometimes teams overdo it and coaches or players overstay their welcome. But Trevor Race is in his fifth year there. Schmetzer's in his seventh year um, as head coach. A lot of those players have been there for three, four, five, six, in the case of Daryl Wichara, 10 seasons. That helps. That helps with the culture. It helps uh, with uh, bringing players, new players into a system that's already up and running. Uh, and and not making so many changes all at once, and maybe that's part of it as well. Uh, although I, I mean, of course, it can work the other way where things can get stale, but I think more often than not, the continuity helps. And I think, particularly in in these uh, Portland and Seattle teams, we we see them avoid the that that exact issue of uh, you know sticking around with players for a little bit too long. I, I'm I'm still the Sporting Kansas City fan on the podcast and look how that's going. Like it's it's there comes a time when you have to move on, but Portland did it. Like uh Diego Valeri is no longer there. Uh Seattle, I'm trying to think who even, their even, example would be. Even before hey, Ozzy Alonso. Valeri, yeah, Ozzy Alonso would be the example. And even before Valeri moved on, they he slowly played a smaller and smaller role the last two seasons where they weren't relying on him as much uh, to to bear the the brunt of the of the attack and and the responsibility. So I think they've done a really good job uh, of doing that. Yeah, I think you're right there. And, and sporting and then, has done the exact opposite. I think. Yeah, <laughs> un- unfortunately. Uh, the other thing that I will say that both of these Cascadia teams have done really well is had that succession plan. Like you brought up uh, the two players that I'm going to bring up for Seattle. Uh, uh, Atencio and Leva, they have been pretty vital in the Sounders really starting to turn around their hopes and, and playing well over the last couple of weeks. Like that, that midfield is significantly easier easier to to hold up uh, against you know these these pretty significantly better invested attacks. Like I 
having Atencio and Leva to me is better than having Roos knock deep. Yep, I think. And, and I if think. you have if you have Roldan in there, you got to figure. Oh yeah, you got to figure out how how you're going to incorporate back back in because I don't think you're going to sit Rusnak uh, to keep Atencio or Leva in. So I guess you'd probably have to sit one of those two. Uh, to put Rusnak a little bit further back and then have Rodon, you know, further up again. But, but yeah, I think having those two as options uh, infinitely better than what they were doing before. Uh, you know, having Rodon back in the central midfield or, or Rusnak there um, just wasn't working for them. Absolutely. Um, I think that, that puts a pretty good bow on this Sounders-Austin match. You know, Sounders really turning into form and starting to have those connections start to show and that just Pacific Northwest ruggedness that apparently is still going to be there for the next a thousand years. Um, and then Austin really, really regressing to the mean they, we it's been pretty obvious that they've been overperforming their statistics, but now they're starting to get uh, or fall a little bit back down to earth. So unfortunate for Austin, but Seattle moves forward. Um, Let's hit the Portland ma- uh, match as well, since we're in the area. Uh, Eric Williamson is really good, huh? Yep. And, and you talked about succession planning, and it's been a criticism, I think, of Portland um, as well, in terms of playing kids, bringing new talent in. Um, and slowly, it's, it's, it hasn't been all at once, but slowly you start to see that next generation. Uh, Eric Williamson is a best 11 caliber central midfielder um, and it's really unfortunate that he got hurt and got set back a little bit because otherwise he'd be right in the discussion I think for, for Qatar uh, but Santiago Moreno is excellent um, and he's been really big for them uh, and under the radar, Zach McGraw has been pretty good for them as a as a center back. Solid. So yeah. that's another young youngish player coming through. So slowly but surely, you're starting to see a little bit of the next generation in Portland. Um, this is a weird game in the sense that Minnesota didn't have Babello, uh, didn't have Fragapane, uh, didn't have quite a few players, and they totally changed formations and played with five at, five at the back. With Kamar Lawrence as a as a left center back, um, and actually they I thought they played pretty well. Garcia, who Mender Garcia, uh, I think is his first name. I, I don't remember having read his signing, but he made a debut a few weeks ago, and he's he's been pretty good at stretching stretching defenses. So that's an interesting piece that they added. They just couldn't quite finish, uh, and Portland got a set piece goal out of Dyron uh, to get their win. So it wasn't a masterpiece by any means. Um, it's not probably the way that you know you'd love to see them play and and Sebastian Blanco and Williamson creating chances and so on, uh, but it's a result. It's at home and it's important because that that puts them within shout of a of a home playoff game against a good team. So yeah, one of those take your three points and, and move on type of games. Absolutely, I I do want to just kind of note a couple of things about like the way that these teams build throughout their their um roster and minnesota they are just so so blessed to have reynoso obviously not this match but generally 
and they the the I feel like they're always one piece away. Uh, and for the longest time, that's been a striker. And I I'm I'm hopeful that Minder Garcia could be a very very good player for them. But I don't know if he's all the way there yet. I just haven't seen the the um, proof positive quite yet. But every opportunity there, um, it <laughs> right now if they can continue solid attacking going forward. The issue then that they have is Bakai Debasi having been injured for the rest of the season. That's really, really going to uh, hamper their chances in the playoffs. I, I don't think that without him, they're able to make a significant run, unfortunately. And I think that shows in the fact that they've lost all three matches basically since his injury. Um, I'm with you there. And I, Unfortunately, I think Boxall, Ballman, um, while not a bad center back pairing, probably not good enough for the top end of MLS and MLS Cup playoffs. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. That, that that's going to yeah. be a little bit of a struggle for them. And I yeah, another one that I'm trying to think about. Who do I consider to be leaders in? Admittedly, a very very you know limited uh way to look into those locker rooms but i think that debasi was that kind of guy for this minnesota team and so that's that that gives me a little bit of cause for concern um but then i want to go ahead and take a look at portland and i think that they are one of those teams i've been again like i said i've been trying to think about models of success in mls and portland is hit big on big players and their dps outside of maybe Nizgoda, who's been all right, but not great, have been very, very good. Their U22 initiative players have been very, very good. There is a really, really good way to go ahead and go out and find good signings that Portland has found, uh, or Portland has made work. And it gives you, like, just, again, how the heck do they keep on doing it? Questions. And it's, so with Portland... If you play four at the back and you play with like a Van Rankin and a Bravo, those two guys that those those fullbacks kind of always concern me defensively. It, it seems like they make um, some some rash challenges and give up either free kicks or penalties um, on a semi regular basis. And if you play with with three at the back, like like they have been recently, um, which by the way they're playing with three at the back and Mabiala is not one of the three. It's super rich Tuiloma yeah. and, and McGraw, which is which is interesting. Um, you know, they play with Santiago Moreno as the left wing back first half of this game, and then put Dyron as the left wing back uh, second half. Um, both of those players are are super explosive going forward. I don't know either one of them are particularly good defenders. Um, just that outside defending kind of concerns me. I think they're a little bit stronger with three, uh, but. Either, either one of those formations, I think you can get at them uh, coming down the wings and, and getting the ball on, uh, into dangerous places on the byline or, or cutbacks or early crosses. So that's that'd be my concern with Portland uh, because otherwise the talent's there between the Charas and Williamson and, and Blanco to, to do some damage. Yeah, the, the um, move to bring Jimmy Chara a little bit more internal because he had been, you know, playing on the wing in a four, three, three for a long time, but having him be in that middle section 
has been really, really good for them. I think he's been pretty good at chance creation throughout the last few weeks. Which is interesting because he's the smallest guy in the field. You wouldn't think yeah. playing centrally amongst center backs would be would be where he'd thrive, but he's really crafty at, at finding spaces in there and, and shifty, and, and he presents a different type of headache uh, than a you know typical center striker would. So, yeah, it's been a good move. And I, I, the biggest thing I think for him is that he also does a ton of defensive work too. So I, again, just a really, really good hit on their um, international signings. So great job by Portland. Um, I think that pretty well ties it up for that match. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else of major note. Portland, four straight wins, playing really, really well. Um and they do not have a game in the midweek, so getting a little bit of a rest as well. And then Minnesota, I believe, like, yep, playing LAFC. sporting. LAFC. Tonight. LAFC. Oh, never mind. That's what it is. That will be an interesting match because that's two teams who have started to fall off pretty significantly. So we will have to see what that match holds. They both need results for, for very different reasons. LAFC to kind of get that mojo back uh, and Minnesota because they are – Right on that playoff line, almost again. Yep, sitting at uh, 44 points. Uh, the Galaxy are in eighth at 40. With a game in hand. With a game in hand. these It's going to be tight coming into the playoffs. That's It's going to be exciting. Um, let's talk about the other team kind of towards the bottom of that uh, Western playoff picture in RSL, who a, a team that I've been really happy about throughout the season but have really cooled off of late um i i think this is probably where you're just starting to see them really not have so much uh ability to just keep on running and keep on surviving on probably you'd have to say less talent they had dc united come into the rio tinto uh, or no longer the rio tinto actually um and is it not and in a Scoreless draw. It, it, no, it's uh, they just signed a new naming uh, naming rights for the stadium. Unfortunately, but I think everybody knows that it's always going to be the riot. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. I think. Well, I don't know what the yeah. name is, but but the riot was you know pretty pretty iconic as as a name in MLS. Okay. I, it's always going to be the riot. Like, and this this match was interesting because it also featured uh, David Ochoa's return to the riot. So. There was some fun storyline stuff there. I don't know if you ever if you got a chance to read the article about Ochoa's kind of fall from grace and exit from from RSL. I think it was on ESPN, uh, maybe a, three or four weeks ago. Um, yeah, it it um, didn't end particularly well in RSL. So for sure, interesting for him to come back and and as a starter and, and get the start and play pretty well. It's this, you know. It's unfortunate to say that this is probably one of the results that DC kind of hangs their hat on for the season, but it it was one of their better ones, which is mostly a condemnation of everything else they've done this season. Uh, I do want to note, I'm trying to find uh, the young player's name. Uh, Matai Akinboni. Boni. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the third youngest player in MLS history to make a first or a first team start. Uh, congratulations to him. And uh, Wayne Rooney was glowing about his performance. Um, 
trying to think if there's too much else. Christian Benteke coming in, uh, really, he had an interview with uh, Paulo Mar, which was very interesting. He is coming in with, I think, a mentality that DC United fans have to be excited about. So, some really, really good stuff there. Uh, for RSL, these are points dropped, and that's it's coming at the worst time for that it possibly could. Yeah, look, I, I saw I, I didn't watch this one, um, so I don't have a ton to add on it in terms of this specific game. But you're yeah, you're right. Home to DC, you've got to get three points here. Um, I read that Mastroeni was basically happy with the performance, but disappointed with the result. Uh, at this point of the season, you know, the result, especially where they are in the table, the results are really all that matters. Um, you know, RSL tends to be one of those teams that somehow manages to uh, to get it done um, and finds a way in. And then once they're in, they find a way to, to have some pretty big upsets. They've done it in the past. Um, but they're going to have the Galaxy in Portland as their last two games. And those are going to be two teams uh, that they're going to be fighting with for the, for the last uh, playoff spot. And what was a pretty safe place a few weeks ago is is definitely no longer so they get austin tomorrow uh then they get cincinnati uh galaxy portland that's a tough run in uh for a team yeah for a team not playing very well uh that's that's sort of why i'm kind of higher on uh, on seattle getting in because i think they might jump both the galaxy and rsl um but again yeah rsl is one of those teams that just continuously proves you wrong so who knows? But that's kind of how yeah. I see it. And you know that no Pablo Master, any coach team is ever going to give you any quit. Like they are going to run through a wall for a uh, wall for him. So still an opportunity there, but definitely a team that's cooled off over the last several weeks. Um, let's go ahead. We will run back out east, finish up a few games and then talk about just some other storylines in the league. But I wanted to touch base uh, the Red Bulls had a really reputable win over the Revolution. Um, weird, weird match. Uh, the Revolution, in my opinion, were better throughout. They had a lot of pretty solid chances, but then uh, Red Bulls just run the, or ran through them. Edelman's been great over the last few weeks, and then you give up a penalty that uh, Morgan puts away, and really, really good win. Keeping the red, or keeping the revolution out of the playoff picture at the moment. Yeah, and this is one where I think Serena or and everybody on the Rev staff is going to be really disappointed uh, because despite not having heel um, in this match, uh, they take a one nothing win on a really on a beautiful pass from from Gustavo Bo uh, to find McNamara and. At that point, you're not really looking for for much more creation. You know, you you have the one goal lead. You haven't given up a goal in like four matches uh, against a good team on the road. It's time to hold on. And and I'm with you. I think they were better throughout the match, but they made a you know a couple of pretty big mental errors, uh, which leads to the two goals. On the first one, uh, they don't track the one two. Um, Holster doesn't go with the run. I forget who it was. Uh, I think who was the who's Casares? Uh, yeah, it's Casares. Casares plays a ball in, and Manuel, who, who didn't do a whole lot but does well to hold the ball up, 
uh, gives him a one-two back to him, and, and Polster kind of loses track of that run. Um, John Bell doesn't quite slide over in time, and it's a pretty easy finish. Um, and then, you know, the shirt pull was pretty glaringly obvious from, from Magnamero on the penalty. Uh, so it, those are two goals that could have been avoided. Um, and you could be walking out of Red Bull Arena with at least a point without Carlos Hill, uh, if not with three. So this might be the the game that puts them out because it all of a sudden gets really difficult where they're at, at 38 points, uh, a game behind and three points behind Columbus, uh, four behind Cincinnati. That's That's tough. And they've got, you know, not the not the easiest schedule by any means, but not the hardest either in in the next few matches. Like they have to uh host Montreal. That's gonna be tough. But otherwise, going to Houston, meh. And then Atlanta coming in, pretty meh. But then finish off in Chicago, who certainly not gonna be fighting for anything. They're the Reds are a tough one to really get a good understanding of. Uh because they just they they have not found the uh, right person to put the ball away, and I, I'm I'm hoping that maybe they can get Barrero back, and maybe that will kickstart their season moving a little bit better. But it's just it's not all the way there. Um, we'll see. Uh, Nacho Heel, uh, Carlos Heel's uh, brother, does go ahead and make his uh, debut, and that was uh, you know great to see, but definitely not the heel that they needed at the at the weekend and tonight is how would you like to have to win on the road i mean granted not a good houston team right now but to have to win on the road against a west coast team uh on a tuesday night in order to maintain uh playoff chances that's not a position especially coming out of having been run around through that red bull team who just absolutely runs you ragged that's not a i, I think a position we would have expected uh, for for the Revs coming in to the season. So they're hanging on by a thread at this point, and, and they really need yeah. three points tonight just to have any sort of shot. It's I it got to be a disappointing season for them. You have to say like it's they have so much more talent than what they've shown this season. The only way that it's not is if they sneak in uh, and then make a run in the in the playoffs. Uh, even sneaking in and getting booted in the first round probably still ranks in disappointing just because, you know, how far off they've fallen. Yeah, it's, it's been rough. Tough, tough season for the Revs. Really good win for the Red Bulls, though, who uh, remain in third. Uh, they've got the uh, Hudson River Derby coming up. That'll be interesting because of how decent the Red Bulls have been and how absolutely poor uh, New York City has been over the last three months effectively. Um, I think the last game that we really wanted to dive into a little bit and maybe less so for the uh, on the field product and more for the, the storylines around these two or, uh, around these two teams, uh, Atlanta hosted Toronto and won four, two, uh, including a, a hat trick from uh, JJ Parata. Uh, good win for Atlanta. Weird, weird, weird result um Rata, uh dedicates his hat trick to joseph martinez on the weekend that joseph has been suspended by the team for having flipped a table full of chicken and rice 
this is the most dramatic result of the weekend. It ha- I think it has to be said. Kind of a microcosm of both teams, really. Um, two teams that have ambitions way beyond what the majority of the clubs have in this league. Um, Atlanta predicted by most to be top three in the East. Uh, Toronto maybe not as much, but definitely spent like a top three in the East team uh, towards the second half. Um, and I think it's just so ironic that, you know, you spend so much money uh, over the years between Pitti and Barco and then now with Almada and Araujo uh, and you end up getting a, a hat trick from a center back off of set pieces uh, as the and that same center back then also gives a penalty and gets beat on the first gold. So it's just it, it just shows how all over the place um, Atlanta has been. It also shows the deficiencies within Toronto. Um, we said that they might win a bunch of 4-3 games and might lose a bunch of 4-3 games. Uh, there's two four goals uh, given up in a row. Uh, obviously, their playoffs uh, hopes are done. Uh, and it's, you know, it's one of those games that you kind of look at and say, yeah, that makes sense that this is what 2022 has been for, for pretty much both teams. Um, just kind of wild and inconsistent and, and not at all what you would expect. I think that this is the match to me that really kind of shows something that you and I have talked about. And it's just this, this league is impossible to really get a good handle on what's actually happening. Because when you look at the talent, you have an idea of, of how all of these pieces should conceivably fit together. And then it's not even kind of close. Like, and you know, we can see really, really good teams like, Austin or LAFC who have been very, very good over the season, like lose four out of five. It's this result just shows me that this league is weird as all hell. Like what, 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 what are you thinking about how, how this league needs to be seen? So I, I spent maybe an unnecessary amount of time thinking about this watching games this weekend. And it really came it came from NYCFC mostly watching them and how how drastically they've fallen off. Um, it came from from also from LAFC um, watching the, them the last few weeks. And so what I've kind of come around on it. First of all, it just makes it so difficult to prognosticate, analyze, know what to expect because uh, week to week it seems to change, and and month to month it's it's night and day on teams. So. You know, it's really difficult to say, oh, in August or July, this happens. So this is what we can expect in September. It just flips on its head. Um, and so I, I have my theories on this uh, and I'll just run them really quick through through them. One is I think the travel in, in this league really affects uh, teams way more than pretty much any other league. Um, the miles traveled uh, in this in this league are way beyond anybody else. Uh, and you're in three different time zones. So that gives you some wonky results. Uh, that means resting players, rotations are really important. That, that I think is one of them. Uh, two, I think the fact that we play through summer, uh, where pretty much nobody else does, also has a huge effect because once you're playing multiple, you know, you're playing probably 20 matches a year in above 80 degree temperatures. Uh, so depending on where you are in recovery, 
Uh, you can just flat out lay eggs from time to time. I think that's also uh, another factor. But I think more more structurally, the way that teams are are set up here, with the way that the franchises are run, where you can't really way outspend um, other teams like you could in in Germany or in England or in Spain, where the top two or three are, are you know twenty times more uh, in spending than the rest of the league. It means that the margins are really, really fine. Uh, the difference between good teams and bad teams aren't that great. And so when the mar- margins are fine, intangibles like confidence and momentum have an outsized role in how, in how results go. And so once you kind of get on a, on a heater, you get some momentum, you get some confidence, it tends to stick for a little bit. And once you go the other way, uh, it also tends to stick for to the other way because you can't just brute force uh, wins out of superior talent. So I think all of those things kind of lead to situations where LAFC win eight in a row and then can't win a game, or, or NYC does the same. So that's kind of what I was thinking about uh, over the weekend, just seeing how some of these teams just fall off awfully and then come back and win five in a row again. What do you think? I... I think you make some really, really good points. Uh, I kind of want like one thing that we've talked a little bit about is the midseason either drop off or significant rise. Like we we've seen that um, obviously in uh, NYC having lost Tatsi was a massive impact um, for uh, Sporting. Getting Eric Tommy and Willie Agata coming in has made a pretty massive impact in the way that they've been able to actually get results over the last few weeks. Um, the fact that in the, the soccer landscape globally, most business is done in the summer means that most of like the significant talent change for major league soccer is going to come in that period. And I think that you're, you're, I think you're exactly right that that's when we see huge, huge swings, particularly, um, and then the other thing that I just think about, uh, in, in my you know, human non-podcasting life, I'm an accountant, so I'm always like, okay, where, where does the money go? Um, and I think that attacking is a really ethereal skill, and uh, there is so much more money put into attacking talent in this league that it necessarily is a higher risk, higher reward. And we see teams who, if I'm Toronto, I am spending $20 million a year on uh, Insigne. If he gets hurt, for me, that asset can no longer really generate return, and my season goes way, way out. And if I can't invest in the same way into, the, into other attackers, uh, which is it's a bad example because they also got Bernadeschi, but it means that my ceiling is so much lower than it was with him. I mean, I think, and I, I, I think sporting is exactly the, the base case for that. Exactly what you're saying. You spent money on Pulido and Kinda. Those guys are out. And then your, your ceiling drops precipitously. And, but if, if there was a team who I think really inve- invested defensively, that's what raises that floor. And I think that that's kind of, what we see out of Philadelphia, who are a historically good defensive team, 
but they've also I, I was reading through the uh, piece on the athletic that Sam Stashkal put out have pin, or have spent 10.6 million in their franchise history on on transfer fees but they're so much better targeted that it's a completely different conversation and their floor has been raised by so much through the other, you know, different things that you're talking about that can make uh, outsized impact in this league, which is your coaching, which is, you know, good leadership throughout the team, which is an academy that actually generates talent. Like the best goalkeeper in the league. It, it, in who came through the draft. Like that's massive in Philadelphia being one of the best teams over the last four years. And I think it certainly takes time to get to the point where that style or that, that model of success is competitive with the LAFC or Toronto FC. Uh, You know, Toronto was able to do it very, very quickly by having massive investment to bring in Bradley, Altador, Juvinko. Philadelphia had to do it over a longer period, but we've seen the payoff. And now we know that if one player goes out of, of Philadelphia, it's not going to have the same impact as one player going out of LAFC. And that I think is, is what makes, or is a big part of, of again, what you're talking about, which is this league is so, so streaky. And I think it, it is on certain teams based on how they model that team. I think I think those are all really really fair points and and between the two of us I think we put out like six different theories so yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it it just shows that there's a ton there's of reasons so many why that come to, to like running a team yeah, like all, that's... all of that I think plays into into the the streakiness of the league and, and I think if you put all of that together maybe we shouldn't be so surprised uh, to see the the wild swings that we do uh, but it still is. If you're used to watching more European-based um, soccer, uh, where you're used to watching Man City just consistently pummel teams or Bayern just consistently pummel teams, uh, to watch our quote-unquote good teams kind of fall apart from time to time, it, it's 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 jarring, but it, it's interesting. I think it's it makes for an interesting discussion. It, it's it also makes for a question of how does that impact. The growth of the league, and that's that's not something that I've I've really put too much thought into yet. It just it's a question that I have right now, and I think to the another piece in the athletic, I believe it was that was talking about whether or not Bayern's strength in the Bundesliga has actually been good for the league. I I don't I don't know. That's something maybe uh, that's another question for next week's podcast. I think that's a that's that's a discussion that I've I've actually thought about, especially living in Mexico um, and seeing how the Mexican league also has quite a few fluctuations in terms of who's good and who's bad, even from Apertura to Clausura. Um, and it makes it, I think, difficult as an outsider to really fall in love with the league because uh, you don't know what you're looking for. Whereas if you're going to watch the Premier League, you kind of know who to target as you know a, an initial investment into your time. But I think this is a that's a conversation for December, January after the World Cup while we're waiting for the seasons to start. Because th- I think there's quite there a are twenty five matches. Yeah, there's quite there's quite a lot to unpack, and I think there's there's points on both sides that are worth discussing. 
I don't think it's so cut and dry either way. Yeah, it's it's just another thing that just makes this league really, really fun. It's why I really appreciate having this opportunity to talk to you and to Joey. Like this, it's it's one of those things that makes me really, really happy that this league exists. It also and also spend way too much time trying to figure out why it exists in the exact way that it does. Much time, and <laughs> but but that's what makes it interesting is is trying to see all the nuances that that lead to the results happening the way that they do, and and the final standings, you know, showing something completely different than what most of us expected six months ago. Absolutely, it's it just causes a whole lot of fun, whole lot of questions, whole lot of trying to figure out what's going on, but. I think that with that, though, I think we can call this a good match week. A uh, lot of important games coming up. Uh, I think one that we wanted to make sure that we uh, brought note to was uh, Miami playing Columbus tonight. I think that we're going to see whether or not Miami continues having a chance to get into the playoffs. So some exciting stuff there. Um, but until next time, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. We'll catch you then.